And if anyone's lost their page or didn't get it, it's page 1007 and page 1008 uh, of the Church Bible. So it would be helpful if we have that open. Uh, and there's also an outline of the sermon in the uh, middle pages of the bulletin. A few years ago, one of my best friends went through a divorce. Uh, it was just awful for him. It was a time when he was either just about to become a Christian or has just become a Christian. Um, and his non-Christian wife decided that he was too boring and she wanted to go overseas and expand her career. And he was now become a liability and she wanted something new. So she decided to leave him. Uh, and the turmoil that that man went through over the next months and in fact years, uh, I cannot describe. It was dreadful. Divorce is very, very painful. And listening to a sermon about marriage and divorce may be difficult for you. Uh, if you're someone who is going through a difficult marriage, uh, or someone whom you love is going through a difficult marriage, uh, or you've been through the pain of divorce. Uh, and if that's you, please feel free to uh, talk with myself or someone on the pastoral team or one of our brothers and sisters whom, whom you trust. Um, tell us you're having a hard time so we can support you and we can pray for you. Uh, because we're all here for each other, aren't we? So let me uh, lead us in prayer as we begin, uh, as we look at this passage together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have given us your Son. And we thank you that you've shown us in your word uh, your plans and purposes for us uh, and, for, and indeed for this world. We pray that your spirit will work in our hearts as we consider uh, the passage that's before us this evening. Uh, may he open our hearts to love you uh, and long to obey you. Uh, may he help me to be able to preach your word clearly and faithfully uh, and in a way that's helpful for the people who are listening. And, me, and may, he, may he cause each of us uh, to respond rightly to Jesus. So we commit this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been doing our series uh, in this part of Mark's Gospel, and we've seen uh, quite a bit of Jesus' ministry up in the north uh, of the country. Uh, we've seen there that he is the Christ, the Messiah. Peter has confessed him as the Messiah. And then he called us to follow him, knowing that it was costly. We've seen God the Father uh, say to us, this is my son, you listen to him. We've seen the need to trust him and the danger of preventing others from doing so. And in our passage today, we put some of those things into practice. Because Jesus is going to handle an issue in a way that is very, very different from the religious leaders of his time and indeed society today. And to accept his teaching, we will need to be confident that he really is the Messiah, that he really does speak for God the Father, and we really can trust him. From being up north, Jesus is now down south. In verse 1, in the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. And even here, the crowds are flocking to hear him. 
just like they did up in Galilee. And as usual, what he is doing is he is teaching them. And as he's teaching them, some Pharisees come up to him. Uh, they were a religious group which tried very strictly to keep the law of Moses and, and all the other laws of their tradition. And they were bitter opponents of Jesus. They weren't there in order to learn from him. They were there in order to test him. And they do so by asking him a question in verse 2. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, why do you think they might be asking this? Well, there might be all kinds of reasons behind it, but here might be one of them. A little earlier on in Mark's Gospel, you may recall that King Herod had executed John the Baptist. And before that, he had put him into prison. Why? Because John had objected to the king's marriage. King Herod had married a woman called Herodias, and she had divorced her husband, Herod's own brother, in order to marry him. And John had been boldly saying to King Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And maybe the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to say the same kind of thing in the hope that he will suffer the same kind of fate. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, notice how Jesus answers. He points them back to Scripture. He asks them the question in verse 3, What did Moses command you? And then they answer something very interesting. Instead of reciting what Moses commanded, instead they tell him what Moses allowed. They say in verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And that's kind of right, isn't it? In Deuteronomy 24, what Moses says is, if a woman is divorced from her husband and he writes a certificate of divorce, and then she goes and marries somebody else, and then he divorces her, she cannot go back to her first husband. Right? You can't play husband and wife swapping games. And the law of Moses, God's law, prevents that kind of abominable evil. And so implicitly it acknowledges that divorce happens and describes the use of this certificate of divorce. But does that mean that Divorce is part of God's plan. Well, actually, it doesn't. Look what Jesus says in verse 5. He says, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. In other words, the provision of divorce was there because of sin. God gave them the law to, to regulate failure and to prevent further evil, but that was not God's intention for marriage. God's plan for marriage is found back in Genesis 1 and 2. And Genesis 1 and 2 are always very important because you know why? Sin only comes in Genesis 3. And so in Genesis 1 and 2, we, all, we, we see God's pattern and God's intention before sin mucks it up. And so in verse 6 and 7, Jesus reminds them of Genesis 1 and 2. He says in verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's Genesis 1, isn't it? That's gender is God's idea. 
It's God's plan. And then he continues, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. You see, God's plan from creation was for marriage, for marriage between a male and a female. Marriage was God's idea, not society's invention. And furthermore, God says marriage creates a bond between the man and the woman that's even stronger than the blood ties between parents and child. And this bond God describes as the two becoming one flesh. It's a joining that's expressed in sexual intercourse. That's what sex is for. Marriage was instituted by God to be a lifelong union between a man and a woman that is signified by the union of their bodies. Therefore, Jesus says so very clearly in verse 9, what God has joined together, let not man separate. To divorce is to actually undo what God meant never to be undone. To divorce is to go away from God's plan for marriage. Now, we might wonder why God made marriage in that way. Why does it have to be lifelong? Well, we see a hint of the answer here in the Gospel of Mark, because in Mark chapter 2, Jesus describes himself as the bridegroom. And as we read the rest of Scripture, we discover that his bride is the church. And so in Ephesians 5, we see that marriage is given to give us a picture of Christ and the church. Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. He's preparing us to be his bride. And in the book of Revelation, we see the wedding at the end of time, where all God's people will be united in intimate relationship with him. And that relationship will be forever. And so you see the, the lifelong union between husband and wife point to that eternal union of marriage between Christ and his church. That is God's purpose for instituting it. But to do that, marriage has to be lifelong. Christ will never divorce his church. Do, do you see the difference between the Pharisees' approach to God's word and the approach of Jesus? The Pharisees want to look at the concessions and create the law and find the loopholes, and if we can fit through them, then it's okay, regardless of what God's intention is. Jesus wants us to go back to the Bible to see what the Creator's intention is and to have hearts that love God and want to put His plans into effect rather than having hearts that look for the concessions and loopholes to avoid obedience to God's plan. And brothers and sisters, if we are disciples of Jesus, then we need to think like Jesus, not like the Pharisees. We need to ask Jesus' questions, not the Pharisees' questions. We don't start by saying, I want to divorce, am I allowed to do that? We start by saying, how can I please God in the situation in which he has placed me? 
from what the Bible says about his character, what he's shown us in Christ, his plans and his purposes, how can I follow him? How can I act in a way that would make him glad, even though it's tough? How can I show his love, his justice, his mercy, his grace? How can I maintain the pattern that he set up? Pleasing God from the heart may not be easy. It might be a big sacrifice. But it springs from an attitude on the inside, a spirit-given attitude, an attitude that you can't legislate for. Now, if we are finding this difficult, we are in good company. In verse 10, when they're privately in the house, the disciples again ask Jesus about this matter. And Jesus doesn't back down. He says in verse 11 and 12, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Some of the rabbis at the time taught that you can, you can divorce your wife for any reason, and once you're divorced, you are free to remarry. So if you're married and someone comes along whom now you prefer, you can divorce your wife and then marry the other person. And that would be quite legal. You can do that and not be technically committing adultery because, well, the new person you're sleeping with is now your wife. But Jesus deals in realities the law can't touch. And again, it's the heart. The heart that divorces one woman to marry another is the same heart, heart that sleeps with both at the same time. Both those sins violate the one flesh union of marriage. Both break the vows of marriage. Both displease God. Divorce and remarriage, Jesus says, is serial adultery. Because marriage is meant to be for life. That was, that was God's plan from the beginning. Now we've seen that in the Old Testament, there were some concessions that recognized the inevitability of divorce in a sinful and broken world. Does the New Testament, and indeed Jesus himself, give any concessions in this area or is this passage the only word we have on the subject? Well, the moment we start talking about concessions, we, we run the risk of being like the Pharisees, don't we? Who are legalists and looking for ways out of obedience. That's probably why Mark's gospel just leaves it there. Uh, because the Spirit doesn't want us to lessen the impact of what Jesus is saying. So we could just leave it there as well because faithfulness in marriage is the main point here. However, at the risk of lessening the impact, I will briefly take us to see the concessions that Jesus gives in the New Testament in light of human sinfulness. But remember, they are not there to give us permission to forget about keeping God's pattern from the heart. They are there because... There are times in this sinful world when divorce is inevitable despite the believer genuinely seeking to fulfill God's plan from the heart. There are times when divorce happens because of something that is outside the control of the party that is sinned against. 
And God wants to look after his people in these situations. The first one is given by Jesus himself in Matthew 19.9. On that occasion he says, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so sexual immorality seems to be an area of, of concession. Friends, I know that if you're a victim of sexual immorality, that is very, very painful indeed. There is a terrible sense of betrayal. There's often a lot of anger and grief and loss and shame. And, and you wonder if you can ever trust your partner again. And yet in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the pain, you know if you're a believer, you know that God loves you. You don't know why he allows this to happen, but you, you trust him that he does all, even he will bring good out of even this to make you more like Jesus. And so in the midst of the pain, you want to do what pleases him. And so you want to try, if at all possible, to avoid divorce. You want to be reconciled with your husband or your wife. You want to forgive them as Christ forgave you. It won't be easy because forgiveness is not cheap, is it? It will come at great cost to you personally. It came at great cost to Christ as he bore our sins and punishment on the cross. You will try your level best to save your marriage because, because that is what God wants. And you have a heart that loves to please him. But sometimes that is not possible. It may be that your spouse is unrepentant and they keep on with the wickedness and folly of adultery. It may be that their behavior has so wrecked your marriage that despite of the fact that you've genuinely done everything you possibly can to remain married simply won't work. Your heart wants to follow God's pattern, but the reality is the pattern has already been destroyed by the unfaithfulness of your spouse. And if that is the case, then divorce and remarriage is not adultery on your part. It is a grim part of the fallen world that we live in. And so God understands that even with hearts that long to please him, we may not be able to save our marriage if our spouse is unfaithful. And so there is an area of concession. Our epistle reading in 1 Corinthians 7 may be describing another area where this, might be, where this is the case. And it's when we become a Christian and our non-Christian spouse divorces us. You can turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's on page um, 1139. Page 1139. And 1 Corinthians 7 shows us that, that singleness is actually a good option, but it's not for everyone. And so then Paul addresses the married. We are told in verses 12 to 14 that we should not divorce an unbelieving spouse. But we are told in verse 15 that if the unbelieving spouse separates, then let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. In other words, we mustn't divorce them, but if they divorce us, then we are free. Now, again, the legalist will find a loophole, isn't it? All right, don't divorce your husband. You ask him, can you please divorce me? 
But if we have the Spirit, and we have Spirit-softened hearts, then again we will do whatever we can to prevent divorce. But if our non-Christian partner who doesn't have this attitude abandons us, then, then we are free to remarry. On the other hand, if both are believers, then Paul reminds us what Jesus himself taught. Back in verse 10 of chapter 7, he says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord, that is, he's quoting the direct teaching of Jesus. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So if you're believers and you're married, don't get divorced. But if it happens, well, then stay single or be reconciled to your partner. Right? That is the teaching of Jesus. And that is passed on by Paul. So what have we seen so far? First of all, we've seen that God's plan for marriage is that it should be lifelong. Faithfulness, it's what's important to him. Divorce is not part of his plan. And as disciples of Jesus, we will do everything we possibly can to fulfill this because we have hearts that want to please God. And we will seek to help each other to do that because we want to be a community that pleases God. Marriage and faithfulness in marriage is important to God and to violate that by divorce and remarriage is, in general, to sin against him. But secondly, there are times in this fallen world where it's impossible to keep this pattern. God never wanted divorce, but he does give some concessions and some regulations in this matter because we live in a sinful, broken world. And where there is divorce... There should not be remarriage except in the case of marital unfaithfulness or when an unbelieving partner deserts you. Even then, disciples of Jesus shouldn't take this as a license to divorce, but as God's recognition that in this fallen world, even with a heart that longs to obey his purpose, there will be times that this is simply not possible. I have four more things to briefly say before we close. Firstly, since there are concessions and exceptions made here, we mustn't be quick to judge people who are divorced and remarried. We do not know the whole story of why it happened, and we certainly can't see their hearts. There may, be, may, may well be people who love the Lord from the heart and did all they could to fulfill his plan, but in the end were covered by one of the concessions that God has given. Don't be quick to judge others, but we must be quick to examine ourselves. Furthermore, Please don't start thinking of all your divorced friends and think what sinners they are. We are all sinners. And just in case you think you're better than someone who's divorced and remarried because God, Jesus said they committed adultery by divorce, divorcing and remarriage, let me remind you that Jesus also said if you look upon a woman in order to lust, you commit adultery in your heart. None of us have any grounds to feel superior. Secondly, 
Can I say something about the pain of faithfulness? I spoke at the beginning about the pain of divorce, but sometimes being faithful in a hard marriage is even more painful. Because with divorce, even though it's really painful, people generally able to move on after a few years. But the pain of being faithful in a difficult marriage is something that, that keeps going, doesn't it? There's also pain in faithfulness in the other way. That is, if you've been married and used to married life, being single again after divorce can be painful. And some people, when that happens, they say, look, I never want to go through that again, so I never want to get married again. But on the other hand, there'll be people who, who really want to. But if you're looking to please God from the heart, then unless you can honestly say you fall into one of those exceptions mentioned, then the options are to be reconciled or to remain single. And that can also be a painful thing. But if faithfulness in a difficult marriage is God's will for us, or if singleness after divorce is God's will for us, then we will do it for Him. And because He loves us, and He really does, then what He wants for us really is what is best. The world says that the most important thing is that we are happy. God says the most important thing is that we are holy. And God can use even the pain in marriage to grow and stretch us to being sacrificially faithful like Jesus. And God can use the loneliness of singleness to cause us to rely on him. And God has gifted his church with brothers and sisters who can share the pain and be of encouragement. So let's be willing to give support and let's be willing to receive support from each other. God has also gifted his church with those who are skilled in marriage counseling. If your marriage is struggling, come and talk to someone on the pastoral team. We love to pray with you and put you in touch with a marriage counselor. Getting help for your marriage is a wise, godly, humble thing to do. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And we will do that because being committed to God's plan for marriage is part of loving Him. Thirdly, I want us to, remind, to remember that even when marriage, divorce and remarriage have taken place in a sinful way, they are not unforgivable sins. Jesus died on the cross for all our sins, including this one. He took our punishment for all our sins, including this one. He paid the price for all our hardness of heart, including in this area. And whatever we have done, God can forgive us if we repent and trust in Jesus. He can declare us not guilty because Jesus bore our guilt and we can stand before him holy and blameless and spotless and clean because we are given the righteousness of Christ. So if we have sinned in any of the ways we've talked about today, then, well, if that's you, please don't leave here feeling guilty. 
confess your sins to God, come to the cross, and know the liberating forgiveness that God gives through the death of his Son. And finally, can I also remind us that God gives us these commands not to be a burden, but to model his faithfulness. Jesus is our bridegroom. We, his church, are his bride. And we can be sure that he will always be faithful to us. Our relationship with him is secure. And these commands help us to sense that. He will not divorce us to marry another. That is simply not on his mind. And so we look forward to the day when our bridegroom will come back and consummate the ultimate happy marriage which we will enjoy forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that you have shown us your love in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have shown us your plans and purposes for this world. You revealed it to us in your word. And we thank you that you've given us your spirit that we might love you and seek to obey you. Father, we confess that there are times uh, not only in the kind of areas that we've talked about tonight, but in all kinds of areas, where instead of loving you and following your plan, we sought to do our own thing and, and then try to justify ourselves. Please forgive us, we pray. Please give us hearts that seek to conform our lives to your plan and to your will because we love you. And give us that love for you that comes from knowing that you loved us first, gave your son for us. And keep us looking forward to that great marriage in heaven when we will be with the Lord Jesus forever. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and we will sing the canticle, the Nunc Dimittis, to be found on